Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the Southeast Asian economy of Vietnam and one particular investment trust in Vietnam holding. And to do that, we're very kindly joined by the chairman of Dynam Capital, which is the manager of Vietnam holding, Craig Martin. Craig, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to talk to you again. Yes. So we, we've had a particularly interesting year out there in markets, and that's been the same case for Vietnamese equities. Now, we spoke, I think, probably earlier on in the year, and that was coming off, Craig, what was, a, you know, I think a, a record year for a Vietnam holding. It was one of the best performing investment trusts in London last year due to the strength in Vietnamese equities. But it's been a slightly different story. Uh, this year, Craig, when we're, we're we're looking at you know what's been happening in Vietnamese equities, so what's the I mean what's been the main drivers so far this year, and and what does the performance look like there? Well, thanks. Yeah, look, so Vietnam Holding uh, thankfully is still outperforming. Uh, last year it outperformed uh, when the market was up, and uh, this year it's still outperforming. However, the market's down. Uh, the market's down about forty percent, and Vietnam Holding is down about 30%. So yeah, thankfully Vietnam holding, uh, the fund is still outperforming. It outperformed last year when the market was up um, and it's outperforming this year, though the market is down. Uh, the market broadly defined is down about 40% uh, this year and Vietnam holding is down about 30%. Now, if we look at the fundamentals, the, the companies we're invested in are doing really well. Uh, strong earnings growth. They're just getting cheaper because the, the market's coming down. And we're looking at PE levels for next year of, uh, of single-digit PEs, uh, kind of six, seven times PE, price to earnings. And yet with a growth forecast in their earnings in the double digits, 16, 17, 20, 20% for some of them. So what's happened then? Well, if you recall last year, we saw a lot of new investors come into the market, a lot of domestic retail investors, we call it the rise of the retail investor, really driving the liquidity in the market and uh, making for uh, lots of new investors. But those investors have got a bit scared this year, partly with what was going on globally in terms of Russia, Ukraine, uh, partly with an eye on what's happening globally because of high inflation in America and the US and the strengthening dollar and fears about China isolation and all, all of those external factors, and that hit the market. And then on the domestic market, uh, the authorities signaled they're very happy with you know, Vietnam's move to grow its capital markets and the stock market, but they don't want bad actors. And so what the government's been doing and the authorities is weeding out people that were manipulating either in the stock market or uh, running a bit uh, fast and loose in the bond market. And that led to some arrests where they take strong action against these bad actors. And I'd say that probably spooked the domestic investors. Um, and so, you know, a pause in terms of the, uh, the investing activity of these investors and people taking money off the table. And then some of these domestic investors also suffering from margin calls. So we've seen these uh, big swings down 
um, through to about halfway through November. Uh, then the last few weeks, actually, we've seen quite a strong rebound. The market's up, you know, 20 odd percent. So a volatile time. <clears throat> but we as investors on the ground, uh, we don't panic by this. We've got a team on the ground and we're looking great companies that we know really, really well. And we're very convicted on and we're engaged with them on their kind of ESG journey. And yet these stocks are becoming cheaper. So, you know, for us as a long term investor, it's a great buying opportunity. Um, and we see tremendous growth in our portfolio companies for the 12 months to come. Indeed, I'm just looking at a chart here of, of the VNH Trust, Craig, I'm looking at where it is, although it is down, as you said, about 30% so far this year, it's still significantly higher than where it was at the beginning of, of 2021. And a very interesting point that you made there about that the valuations, albeit you know a, a basic measure of where a, a an index is you, you mentioned there six times earnings, which is very cheap if you look on a historical basis for for frontier and emerging markets. So, I mean, with, with that in mind, Craig, let, let's just focus on on China for, for for one minute, if we may. Now, of course, it's it's in the headlines pretty much every day at the moment. It's uh, it's a major driver of global equities. Know, people are looking at what's happening there with the COVID cases. There's talk and rumours that they may be looking at a reopening at, at, at some point. Now, of course, Vietnam's close proximity to China does make the their, their equities somewhat linked. You know, in terms of the correlation that we're seeing with Vietnamese and, and Chinese equities, you know, it looks as though that this year they, they've been moving with a level of, of high correlation. I mean, do you see you know, a potential reopening in China being a major benefit for Vietnamese equities? Yes, I think so. Um, I think everyone's waiting for China to open up and, and no one can ignore China. Uh, China was, uh, has got very strong relationships diplomatically with Vietnam. It's one of the first countries to establish di- diplomatic relations 70 uh, odd years ago. Uh, and China's Vietnam's largest commercial partner. It's the second largest export market. And Vietnam is a large commercial partner um, for China on many dimensions. Bilateral trade. It's a two-way flow. It's about $166 billion uh, in 2021, growing by 25%. So um, when China's uh, strong, uh, all markets uh, in, in Asia, will, well, I think, will benefit. But actually, very interesting to note is that there are two things happening in China. One is, you know, the lockdowns and that affects kind of consumer activity and what have you. But geopolitically, Vietnam's been benefiting from perhaps the cooling in, in attitude towards China from, from the West, particularly the US. So many manufacturers are looking to invest in Vietnam and move their uh, assembly and their production lines. Partly it's because of, you know, COVID restrictions. Uh, Apple's Foxconn supply, you know, may want to do more and more in Vietnam. But also geopolitically, Vietnam is seen as a uh, as perhaps a friendly shore for many of these manufacturers. So uh, Vietnam's benefited from a, a soft China over the last two years. But as China o- opens up, hopefully at some stage, uh, we will see um, probably a boost uh, in sentiment, if nothing else, in terms of uh, Vietnam. And we'll see that, I think, flow through uh, to the stock market. Um, Vietnam, the party chief visited China uh, at the end of October 
at the invitation of Xi Jinping. So they have very good good relations, even though they you know, have disputed maritime waters. But as two neighbors, um, they're both very important for each other. And Vietnam, in many ways, has trod a similar path to China's growth over the last 20 years. And they're both kind of conservatively structured, managed uh, uh, countries with growing um, strong demographics and you know, growth in the domestic consumer. So, you know, the massive growth that China has enjoyed, I think Vietnam will continue to enjoy. And then perhaps as China still cools geopolitically, Vietnam may benefit again from more manufacturers and an increased level of foreign direct investment into Vietnam. So uh, all things said, I think Vietnam's in a very good position. So just just one more point on uh, on the relationship between China and, and Vietnam. It's not so much the relationship, but it's you know, sort of looking at China and how it's be- begun it began its its growth story in manufacturing, and then later moved on to the consumer. When Craig, do you think that's a playbook for for Vietnam? Of course, they're seeing uh, a huge increase in manufacturing activity, but what does it look like in terms of the consumer there? And do you see the consumer, the Vietnamese consumer, really driving the economy going forward? Yeah, so I think Vietnam um, benefits from having two uh, attractive stories or narratives, should we say. One is the export narrative where, you know, these manufacturers come in, they build their their plants in Vietnam and exporting uh, Nike trainers and computers and software globally. That's great. But there's also a large population, 100 million people. Uh, We're seeing uh, digitalization in that economy, e-commerce growing at 37% per annum fastest growth in Southeast Asia, you're seeing disposable income increase. So the rise of the domestic consumer uh, perhaps in many ways mimics what happened in China or in Thailand or even in Korea and Taiwan many years ago. So um, I I think that playbook that you refer to, the analogy is a good one. I think you've got these two legs to the story. You've got the strong export uh, manufacturing base, but it's not entirely reliant on that. It's now got this emerging uh, consumption story. And in Vietnam Holding, in our portfolio, we have uh, kind of building blocks that suit that kind of manufacturing base, but we have also some great companies positioned in that domestic retail. So, you know, we've got a very um, kind of um, a diversified, we've got a concentrated portfolio, but it covers a kind of diverse segments of what we see is a very strong fundamental Vietnam story going forward. Indeed, we're going to look uh, in, in some more detail at some of the portfolio companies a bit later on yeah. in the in the podcast. But let, let's just move on to the subject, if you may, Craig, of of ESG. Now, this is something that I know Vietnam have Vietnam Holding have been uh, you know big proponents of. You know, looking at what's happening in in, in Vietnam. But you know, if, if we look over the last you know three months or so, there's been lots of reports coming out in the media and. Um, you know, ESG's been been facing facing a little bit of criticism. Well, maybe not so much ESG, but you know, some uh, uh, you know investment providers have been you know facing uh, you know criticism for potential um, greenwashing. I mean, what what does it look like in Vietnam? You know, what's actually happening on the ground to back up the claims of ESG in uh, in, in Vietnam and of course Vietnam holding? Well, look, it, it's it's early days and it's a journey. So when we started out uh, with a a key responsible investing framework many, many years ago, Uh, a lot of our companies didn't know what we're talking about. So uh, we had to build um, an engagement with our portfolio companies 
uh, and do that in a very authentic way, talking about governance and broad diversity and investor reporting and transparency and then climate. So by uh, you know, doing it uh, in that very engaged, authentic way with our companies, um, it's very much a, a real part of our investment process and our aim to work with each of those companies. So uh, a couple of our portfolio companies, they're now really taking this on board themselves. They want to report more about their carbon footprint. They want to talk about their diversity programs. So it's certainly not greenwashing in, far, in, in as far as our portfolio companies and our approach to responsible investing. So we're not kind of retrofitting ESG onto an existing approach. Our approach from the very beginning has been one built on responsible investing. Uh, and we see it as a very natural part of risk management, you know, getting to know these companies, helping them identify weaknesses in their uh, you know, environmental program, but also very selfishly for an, for an investor. You know, Vietnam Holdings will do well when our investment companies uh, get more liquid and get higher rated. So if they can also improve on their investor reporting, putting their you know, information in English, showing that they're taking governance to a, a high level of consideration. So w- w- one of um, our, our partners, Tin, our CIO, he spends a lot of his spare time, uh, not that he has much spare time, but it, it, training people to be directors of Vietnamese public companies. So it's a key part of our DNA. Uh, but you're right, ESG has got a bad rap uh, because I th- think some people look at it as a kind of tick the box exercise. For us, the real value is kind of doing more on ESG on each of the dimensions, measuring more so we know we are having an impact, and then reporting more. So in the past year, we've measured our carbon footprint. Our, our portfolio is has a uh, 67% lower carbon footprint than if you just invest in the index. And then also in terms of responsible investing, we've got you know, very high grades, two uh, five-star reports from the United Nations, principal responsible of investing. They, they do their transparency report. So we measure what we do, uh, and we're always trying to do more uh, as well. So recently, we've been holding uh, one-on-one sessions with some of our portfolio companies and encouraging them. And it's nice to, that they recognize our efforts, uh, even though you know we're only one investor on their shareholder register, but we're a, an active, engaged partner with them. Fantastic. Thank you. So, Craig, now let's drill down into the portfolio. So, of course, we've been talking about that the macro picture in Vietnam, but I'm sure this is going to be interested to hear about some of the companies that you hold within the portfolio. I mean, are there any ones that stand out for you at the moment, Craig, that you have particular conviction or maybe one that you've you've bought in in the recent volatility? Well, look, you, you mentioned um, you know, when you were talking about China about the, the consumer story. And there's one company we've had for many years, which is really well placed. So it's, it's a jewellery company. And in Asia, you know, people value jewellery both as something that's pretty, but also as a store of wealth in difficult times. Uh, but typically, it's a very fragmented industry. So our company, which is one of our top three, top three companies, PNG, um, has about 50% of the modern organized jewelry market. But that the modern organized part of the market still only 20% of the total jewelry market. There's a lot of fragmented individual, what we call mom and pop stores. So 
This is what we like to refer to as a category champion, this company. 50% of the market share, but the whole market is growing in terms of uh, the consumer disposable income and people wanting a trusted brand and wanting to find that brand and product through multi-channel, through online as well as, as, well as visiting its many physical stores. So 12 years ago, or you know, a decade ago, this company had a market value of about $100 million and a price to earnings of about eight times and a price to book of about two times. Today, it's got a market cap of about a billion dollars, so 10 times that value, but its price, its PE is still only about 10 times and its price to book is two and a half times. So it's still attractively priced. It's got great growth prospects. Its return on equity as a measure of its profitability has been an average of you know, 25% per annum over a decade. So we think it's got a lot of legs to it. It's a well-managed business. Um, they're really trying to do a lot in terms of their ESG and their reporting and their investor uh, transparency, as well as tracking their environmental footprint. And they're innovating. They're innovating uh, great jewelry, gold products for the older generation, perhaps silver for the younger generation, and using a modern retail approach to something which is a traditionally valued item uh, in a context of high growth of disposable income. So we think this is a great business. Um, we've been adding to it, um, and we, we believe it's got a lot of growth ahead um, and is a key part of our kind of retail domestic consumer story. So that's one to keep an eye out uh, going forward. Uh, and we're you know pleased with how it's performed for us. And, and we think it's, it came through the pandemic well, and it's starting to gain market share, open more stores, and innovate new product. So definitely one that we're going to keep in the portfolio. Fantastic. So just uh, a final point on looking at the portfolio. I mean, with, with the recent volatility, Craig, was there an opportunity that you took to, to maybe add to, to some existing positions or, or maybe were there companies that became, you know, more fairly valued in your view that, that you maybe picked up and, you know, new additions to the, to the portfolio? Well, look, I think two things happen. One, um, I mentioned earlier that the, uh, the fear in the domestic market in part was because the government were going after some bad actors. Uh, and some of the processes around that and uh, dealing with a very nascent bond market and the authorities and the regulations around that uh, caused a little bit of a, of a kind of credit squeeze on some of real estate developers, not the ones in our portfolio, but some in the market. Um, so you know, pragmatically, we took the opportunity you know, a couple of months ago to uh, reduce a little bit of the of the real estate market. Uh, and that was good timing, fortuitously in that sense, that that market was sold off and you know there's opportunities perhaps to buy in selectively at much cheaper levels. Um, we also were allocating more to our retail stories um, and so perhaps were less exposed in the banks. And the banks have been sold off uh, aggressively uh, and, and generally indiscriminately in the market this year. And so many of the banks who have great franchises, great branch networks, good management teams, um, good growth prospects are trading at you know, less than one times price to book. So yes, we've been selectively adding to companies that we know well at historically low levels of valuation, which we think will position the, the fund really well for the recovery in domestic sentiment in Vietnam, uh, but perhaps also globally as we see kind of 
uh, more settled uh, picture as we come into uh, 2023. By adding into these positions, um, we've got a, a good position for the portfolio for, for the next year. Fantastic. Thank you. So just to finish off now, Craig, you know, I'll sort of look back to you know, some of the conversations we had earlier on this year and, you know, that there's always on the horizon because, of course, at the moment, Vietnam is a, is a frontier market. But, you know, on the horizon is the possibility of Vietnam being classified as an emerging market, which would have uh, you know, a huge or we'll see huge inflows in, into the equities. I mean, what what does the timeline look like now? I mean, how I mean, what, what are the criteria for, for becoming a, an emerging market? And, you know, have, have things changed in uh, the last year in terms of Vietnam moving towards be, becoming classified as, a, as an emerging market? It still remains uh, a key part of the government's priority and intent for Vietnam to become an emerging market proper. Uh, but frankly, uh, not much uh, visibility on um, that happening anytime soon. It will take at least two years. What has been going perhaps in the, in the shadows or in the background has been improving the infrastructure of the stock market itself uh, with new systems um, that will help uh, investors in terms of their execution and their dealing. Uh, and that will be a positive the key big issues, though, are quite tricky to solve quickly, so it does take time. One is dealing with uh, foreign ownership uh, restrictions in certain companies and certain sectors, so that that's not such a large part of the investor uh, uh, base. Um, and there's some uh, talk that perhaps in banks, that some banks will uh, be able to have uh, a greater uh, level of their stock owned by foreign investors, which would be a positive move. Um, but more broadly, looking at you know how to you know liberalise the market, how to get uh, companies to uh, report uh, websites in English. That's probably easier to address uh, than you know addressing uh, making the currency uh, more readily tradable. So there are a couple of more difficult issues that will take time, but the intent is there to address these. So it's probably still um, a couple of years away, but the run up could be sooner in terms of. Uh, if investors see that steps have been taken, um, that then the rating agencies can kind of consider perhaps putting the markets on on a, on a watch list uh, for a longer term inclusion. But uh, you know, I think we're looking at still uh, two years away, so probably kind of you know, twenty twenty five um, for for inclusion would I guess be uh, be the earliest. But the kind of uh, run up to that could happen um, a little bit earlier. Fantastic, Craig. That's 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 great. So very I mean, fascinating insight that you provided there into the Vietnamese economy. And just that last point there about that run up, that's particularly exciting. So gonna be looking forward to speaking again in twenty twenty three and see what that brings for Vietnam and the and the Vietnam Holding Investment Trust. So Craig, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. My pleasure. Yeah, I look forward to talking to you uh, in the new year. So just as a note to listeners that want to find out a little bit more about Vietnam Holding, we're going to put a link to their website in the notes to this podcast. You'll follow that. You'll be able to download some of their, their recent fact sheets, have a, a more detailed look at their portfolio companies and some of the commentary that Craig and the team has provided. So do, uh, do check that out. Thank you very much for everyone for listening.
We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.